Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1 to 13. The men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Nehemiah says, when I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses. And also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. We will give it back, they said. And we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen. And praise the Lord. This is God's word. You may be seated. One of my favorite games to play when I was a little boy is a familiar game called Fly. I had been looking forward to the day that I would be old enough to be included by my older siblings whenever they were playing with their friends this game called Fly. Now, the way we played it is similar to the way other kids played it all across the country. You would have a bottle in the ground. Usually, it would be a Sobo bottle because it's big enough and sturdy enough. And then you would have... One person on one side of the bottle and, and another person on the other side of the bottle. And they would have a ball of some sort that they would be using to throw. There would be two teams. The people who were throwing the ball to each other would be on the same team. Then there would be another team that they are playing against. And then there would be one person from that team in the middle. The goal was to hit this person with the ball. If it hits them, they're out. Their goal is to dodge the ball, kung fu style. <laughs> if, they, if you throw the ball at the person to, in the middle to hit them with the ball and get them out, and you miss, the ball will go to the other side. Your teammate will pick up the ball and throw it to try to hit the person in the middle, and if they miss, it will get to the other side. And you just keep going back and forth until one of two things happens. Either one of you hits the person in the middle and you knock them out. And then another person from their team comes and tries to have a go. Or the person in the middle had two tasks. They had to dodge the ball 
so that it doesn't hit them. And whenever the, do- the ball misses them, there was a pile of dust on the ground. And their task was to grab some dust from the ground and put it inside the bottle. If the bottle is filled to the top before this person is knocked out, then their team wins a point. And it means the people throwing the ball are losing. My sisters loved this game with their friends. And they always told me that I was too small or too young to play. But one day, they decided, we'll give you a turn. Come and play with us. You will be on the, uh, on the other side. And so I was. And so I had a turn to stand in the middle and do the dodging business. But I didn't last very long. Somebody threw the ball and it hit me. And they said, ah, I hit you, Sean, you're out. And I said, look, I wasn't ready. (laughs) I thought you were going to give me like a count to three, one, two, three, and then we'll start. No, 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 son. You've seen the way we play this game. The moment you are in the middle, game on. You're out. Now you have to wait for everybody to have their turn before you can have yours again. I looked at the crowd (laughs) and realized it would be a long time before I would have another chance. But at the same time, this was the worst performance in the history of this game. That before I even did anything, I didn't even touch the dust. I was being knocked out. And there were girls there. So I'm insisting that I will improve my performance to get another. I said, come on, you guys. This is unfair. It's unjust. I wasn't ready. And I said, no, son. You just got to go out there. Now you've learned your lesson. You will do better next time. I said, no, I am not I am not moving from this spot. Give me another turn. And, and my sister's like, now this is why we don't let you play. Because you kids don't follow the rules because you think it's all about you. I was like, no, I'm following the rules. I just wasn't ready. And they said, look, we are not going to throw the ball until you move from the middle and let somebody else have a turn. Your turn is up. I said, well, then I'm not moving. You don't throw the ball, I'm not moving. I'm going to stay right here until you throw the ball. (laughs) And so we had a stalemate. They refused to throw the ball. I refused to move. I say to them, look, if you don't throw the ball and start giving me another turn, I will show you how to throw the ball. I said, what do you mean you'll show us how how to throw the ball? And my sisters knew exactly what it meant. I said, I'm going to give you uh, five seconds to throw that ball, or I'll show you what throwing looks like. And so I started counting, and my sisters started telling their friends, this game is officially over, ladies and gentlemen. Sean is going to throw rocks again. You better run for your life. (laughs) And the countdown ended, and I started picking up rocks and throwing them at anything that moved. And all of the children that had gathered at our house to play this game scattered in seven different directions. My sisters ran back to the house. And shouted at mom, Sean is throwing rocks again, mom. And they locked the doors so that I wouldn't go in. I was armed. With rocks in my pockets. Front pockets, back pockets. And I'm chasing after my sisters. Because even though they were not the only ones on the other team that refused to give me another turn, they were the ones I was most upset with. And so they went inside and told my mother. And my mother said, okay, let me go talk to him. And so they're standing right behind the back door. And the back door had a glass window in it. And my mom said, Sean, put those rocks down now or there will be trouble. And now at this point, 
as we say in Chichewa, Ndalirima. My eyes are red, the tears are flowing, and every time I swallow, I feel that thing. You know that demon that aches in your throat when you're really upset? I feel that. And I am fuming, and I say, I refuse to put these rocks down. Sean, put the rocks down, my mother says. Say, be that as it may, put the rocks down. And so, I made one of the biggest mistakes I ever did in childhood. <laughs> and I threw the rock at the glass window in the door, with my mother standing behind it. And the rock hit the bullseye, and the glass cracked. And my mother stopped asking me to, to put the rocks down. So she said, all right, son, that's enough. Everybody, she turned to all the kids in the house who were grown-ups, everybody, go out there and bring me that boy. <laughs> it is so weird how quickly the tables can turn. These people were in the house running away from me because I had rocks. But the moment my mother said, bring him to me, they didn't care that I had rocks. They were willing to sacrifice their well-being to catch me just so that they could see how I was going to suffer. And so they opened the door, and all these kids in there start chasing me. And at the same time, isn't it weird? I am so brave that I'm going to take on the entire neighborhood of kids with my rocks. But the moment my mother says to those kids that I was throwing rocks at, go get him. I completely forgot that I was actually armed. And I began to run for my life. And these kids could run. And they found me and caught me and brought me back home to my mother. I know you want to know what happened next. <laughs> but you already know what happened next. The same thing that happened to you. My topic tonight is emotional health. One of the things that tests whether we are emotionally healthy or not is when we are wronged. Or when somebody we are in a relationship with is wronged by us. In other words, one of the tests of our emotional health in life is actually how we conduct ourselves when offenses occur in relationships we find ourselves in. When conflict erupts, conflict is testing ground for emotional health. If you are emotionally healthy, a conflict is one of the places where it will be most visible. If you are not emotionally healthy, a conflict is one of the places where it will also be most visible. Because a conflict usually brings hidden emotions in our hearts to the surface. Where we can't ignore them, where we can't deny them where we can't escape them. And then how we deal with those emotions that are now so obvious demonstrates to us whether we are actually emotionally healthy, emotionally healthy or not. Consider the conflict or the offenses that had happened among the Jews in the story that we have read, where people were mortgaging their assets and livelihood 
and even their children being sold into slavery just to afford food to eat. And this being done at the hands of their own countrymen. There are many emotions that this offense, that this conflict, this bitter situation brought to the surface. We read that there was an outcry. This means the people were feeling oppressed. We read that they complained about how they were being taken advantage of. This means they were feeling exploited. They even say that even though we've sold our children into slavery, we don't have anything to buy them back with because even our vineyards have been already been sold. This means they feel helpless. They feel deprived. Nehemiah says when he heard these stories, he felt angry. And he says that he felt compelled to bring the people together and address the situation. When Nehemiah confronted the people, we can clearly see that they were silent because it says they had nothing to say. They felt guilty and embarrassed. And when they agreed to give back uh, to their, their own countrymen the things they belong to them and to remove the heavy interest they were charging them, Everybody said amen. They felt relieved. And they felt included. A whole complex array of emotions comes to the surface whenever there is an offense in a relationship and whenever there is a conflict between two or more parties. So one of the things you need to remember whenever you find yourself in an offense with someone, whether you have offended them or they've offended you, remember that that situation is a test of your emotional health. So let's define emotional health. What is emotional health? The way I would define emotional health is being able to feel and see the emotions appropriate for every situation and to respond intentionally to each. Let me say that again. Being able to feel and see the emotions appropriate to every situation and to respond intentionally to each. That is emotional health. Now, every part of this definition is important. In fact, I begin by defining emotional health as being able. Emotional healthy people, emotionally healthy people have certain abilities. And I would like to give you those abilities right now. And those abilities are included in the definition, but I would like to break it down for you further. First, emotionally healthy people are able to experience emotion. To experience emotion. Do you know that it is possible to not be able to feel certain emotions because you are not emotionally healthy. Think about it. Haven't you ever heard someone that has a, or seen someone that has a reason to be happy and yet they are not? Like, hey, I thought it was your birthday today. Right? Because you can see that the emotion that's appropriate for the celebration of life is absent. Something is happening with this person that is making them incapable of experiencing the emotion of happiness. Because emotionally healthy people are able, first of all, to experience appropriate emotions. This happened to me when my father died. 
I was 19 years old, August 7th, 2001. I came home and my father was dead. We buried him two days later. For about six months, the emotion I felt was fear. I was afraid of what would the future look like without my father in it. And at my father's funeral, I did not shed any tears because I was not feeling grief just yet. And yet grief is an appropriate emotion to feel when you are suffering loss of a loved one. Grief is an appropriate emotion. But the emotion of fear was making it difficult for me to experience grief. And I didn't grieve my father until six months after he died when I was no longer afraid of the future. Then I was able to experience grief. Because being emotionally healthy, the first ability is being able to experience emotion. That's it, appropriate for the situation. And that's why the definition says being able to feel. Being able to feel. The second ability is being able to not just experience emotion, but being able to express emotion. Being able to express emotion. Sometimes, a woman will have a boyfriend and she is upset with him. Yeah? The men know what this looks like. <laughs> she's upset with you. You know that she's upset with you, eh? You can see it in her eyes. The way she looks at you. And then, because you don't have the gift of telepathy. You can't read her mind. So you decide as a dude, you want to be sure. Right? And you ask her, is everything okay? You suspect not everything is okay. She knows it is not okay. But that's not what she says. She says, Everything is fine. You know, you've seen this, right? Everything is fine. She might even say, oh, okay. So you're going to go with, your, let's say this is the situation. Oh, so you're going to go with your friends. Even though you told me you were going to take me out on a date. But now you're going to go watch the football game. Oh, I see. Well, look, uh, I don't have to go. I can totally, we can go on this date. No, you do what you like. Or she doesn't mean you should go do what you like, gentlemen. <laughs> you do what you like. But sometimes all of us can find ourselves in situations where we've, we are able to feel the emotion, but we are not actually able to express the emotion. And sometimes we can even express a contradictory emotion. We feel upset, but what we express makes it seem like we are the opposite of being upset. Yeah, I'm happy for you. You know he ain't happy for you. But emotionally healthy people people who are able to experience emotion, but also express the emotion they are experiencing. That's an important ability. That's part of emotional health. You see it in this passage of scripture. Nehemiah says, I felt angry. 
And then he found a way to express his anger. So being able to experience emotion and express emotion. Ability number three of emotionally healthy people is being able to explain emotions. Being able to speak and describe the way you are feeling. One of the most important questions a person can ask you is, how are you really feeling? And being able to explain your emotions is a critical skill to have when you're emotionally healthy. Especially when you can explain your emotion and connect it to what causes, what's causing you to feel this way. Being able to explain it. I feel this way because of this. I mean, how many of us have found ourselves in situations where we know that somebody is upset and we're wondering if they're upset with us. And when we ask them, they confirm that they were upset and we were relieved to find out that the reason they're upset has nothing to do with us. Emotionally healthy people are able to do that. To explain the emotion they are feeling and to articulate what is causing it. Even if what's causing it is the fact that it's Monday. No, don't worry. I am cranky. It has nothing to do with anybody. It's just the way I am on Wednesday mornings. Don't worry about it. But they're able to explain that so that people around them can be at ease. Their ability to explain emotions. A fourth ability that emotional, emotionally healthy people have is being able to expose, expose emotions. And this has to do with being able to look at someone and to get a sense of what they may actually be feeling. You know, some people do not have this ability. You can have all the signs of worry or fear and they will never pick up on it that you are terrified because being able to look at someone to expose something is to bring it to light to look at something and to be able to pick it out to identify it emotionally healthy people are able to do that not only to recognize their emotions in themselves but to recognize those emotions in other people you look upset well, you look happy this morning. What's going on? To be able to tell the shifting emotions that are showing. One of my favorite shows on television is this show called Lie to Me. And uh, it's based on this character, a man named uh, uh, Dr. Carl Lightman, uh, played by the uh, Hollywood actor Tim Roth. And uh, Dr. Carl Lightman is an expert at looking at people's facial expressions and seeing what emotions are displayed there. Because apparently, your eyes and your facial muscles, they will always express the true emotion you feel, even if your mouth says otherwise. So he is a consultant for the FBI. And when they want to bring someone in, rather than use the lie detector test, which sometimes people can beat when they have had practice, they bring Dr. Carl Lightman. And they bring the suspect to sit across from him. And he will fire a series of questions and he will be studying your face. And then when he's done interrogating you, he will go out and tell the FBI agent she's telling the truth. Or he's lying. I don't know what he's hiding, but he's hiding something. And then he will explain to them the facial, muscle, science, and uh, expression. One of the things that his character says 
is that uh, there are six basic emotions that you should be able to identify in other people when you see them. You want to hear what they are? All right. Uh, one of the base, I think it says seven, one of the basic emotions you should be able to identify is the emotion of fear. Fear. Fear is what we feel when we feel that danger is lurking. A second emotion you should be able to recognize in other people is sadness. Sadness is the emotion we feel when we've suffered a loss of some kind. The third is anger. You should be able to look at someone and get a sense of whether they look angry or not. Anger is the emotion we feel when we have an urgent desire for justice and action. Justice and action. Every angry person in the world is crying for justice. Fourth is joy. This is the emotion we feel when we feel we are about to gain something or when we have just gained something good that we desired. Joy. A fifth emotion is surprise. <gasps> surprise. A sixth emotion is disgust. Disgust. Disgust is when you want to, uh, when you see something you don't want to have contact with because you think it will contaminate you somehow. Whether it will contaminate you relationally, emotionally, whatever. But disgust is when you don't want to have contact. You see that face? All right. Imagine that you walk into a toilet, you really need to go. You really need to go, right? You have been on the minibus from Deza for one hour and you've held it in. You gotta go. And then you rush into your house and you get to the toilet and you're so eager to sit on that stool and go. And then you open it. And then you see that there is a pile in there and it's been sitting there for probably a day. All right, show me the face. That is disgust. You know, sometimes you can have that for other people. That look. Usually you give it to them when they're not looking at you. Like when you're thinking, who does he think he is? It's disgust. <laughs> and the seventh emotion is contempt. Contempt. This is when you see somebody engage in behavior or conduct that you consider to be substandard. Contempt. You feel contempt. But one of the critical abilities of emotionally healthy people is being able to expose emotion, to see the emotions of other people, to be emotionally aware of the people you're in contact with. Because that allows you to make decisions about how to interact with them. And then the last ability that emotionally healthy people have is the ability to expect emotions. This has to do with the future. To know that next week, Wednesday, I have a math exam. And this is exactly how I'm going to feel on that day. So that you can make decisions today about how to prepare for the emotion you, not, you do not yet feel, but you know you are going to in that situation. To anticipate emotions. Not only yours, but the emotions of others. I'm about to go talk to Jimmy about what he told Joyce about me. But talking to Jimmy is going to make me feel this way. To expect the emotion. And what I have to say to Jimmy is going to make Jimmy feel 
this way. To expect those emotions allows you to prepare for the situations ahead. So these are the abilities of emotionally healthy people. The ability to experience emotions, to express them, to expose them, to explain them, and to expect them, to see them coming. One of the most beautiful stories in the Bible about someone with the emotional health to expect emotions was the story of Jacob. He had really screwed his brother over, stole his birthright, tricked his dad into thinking that he was his older brother. Jacob knows he has betrayed his brother. And he ran away from his brother for almost 20 years and hasn't seen him for 20 years. Not only does he know what Esau, his brother, must feel like for that betrayal, but he anticipates what emotions Esau must feel after 20 years of that betrayal festering. And the Bible tells us that when he was coming to meet his brother face to face, he anticipated how his brother would feel. And so he made preparations. He sent him lots of gifts. Lots of gifts. Animals, uh, livestock, sheep, donkeys, cattle, lots of gifts. These are gifts from your brother. The Lord has blessed him and he just wants to bless you. And by the time Esau met Jacob face to face, all he wanted to give him was a hug. When actually, when Jacob left 20 years earlier, he wanted to kill him for what he did. Today he gives him a hug. Come. We are brothers, he says. But Jacob had actually been able to expect the emotions that his brother would feel and was able to make intentional decisions about how to respond as somebody who had wronged his brother. And so emotions and our health in handling them are tested when there are offenses in relationships. And... Uh, in those relationships, we are tested in these five abilities, whether we are able to do these things or not. Now, when you do find yourself in a relationship that is strained and where there is offense and conflict and you feel certain emotions or your other person feels certain emotions, whether it's your friend, your mom, your dad, whoever it is, I think the Nehemiah situation here gives us a tool that helps us to respond to the situations in our relationships in an emotionally healthy way. And this tool is something I call the pond. The pond. Every person I believe should have something Nehemiah had. When he felt angry, you read the story, and it seems like he felt angry and he called for a meeting. But that is not what the story says. It doesn't say that he felt angry and he called for a meeting. Or he felt angry and he shouted at the nobles. Or he felt angry and he attacked this is something emotionally unhealthy people do. Emotionally unhealthy people, when they feel offense or negative emotions, they do one of two things. Half, about half the population, let's say this half, about half the population, their immediate response is flight. To flee the situation. I've got beef with this brother, so I avoid him. Ah, in Amenoja. Bas, 
tinatana Half, about half the population, their immediate response to negative emotions in relationships is flight, to escape, to escape, to avoid, to withdraw, to just say, okay, our own DNA sit in bus, don't die or as we say, kunyanyala. You know, there is this exercise going on in the country, the national registration exercise. Yeah? And on that form for getting registered as a citizen, they want you to state your marital status. So you say married, unmarried, divorced, and separated. Abandoned, deserted. They have all of these things. I was so fascinated. The Chichewa word they chose for separated is ananyanyalitsana. <laughs> which communicates the tendency we all have to withdraw from people when we experience negative emotions to withdraw in protest. That's one response. Another response about the other half of the population. If they don't flee, these are the attackers. They launch an attack. I'm from baby. I'm saying the size again. You will see it one day. You will have children. You will send them to school. And the teacher will send that report. Your son has been misbehaving. He used a bad word in the playground. I felt this when we had one child. By the way, my wife Tapiwa is here, everybody. Today is our wedding anniversary. We have been married 11 years today. Thank you, darling. For 11 years of marriage, as well as 16 years of love. And uh, you have loved me more than anybody else has in my lifetime. I'm grateful for you. And uh, nobody in the world understands how broken or how sinful or how much of a failure I have been in my life. And uh, you have loved me regardless. And uh, your love is true. Your love is my north. And uh, I wake up, I wake up every morning, and um, you are truly a woman of whom I am not worthy. And so I'm grateful to you for every day, every day. Um, thank you. So at any rate, my wife and I, when we had our first child, we sent him to school, and one day he came home, and um, he heard my wife talking to her sister in the kitchen, and they were speaking Chichewa to each other. And uh, my son said, hey, you two, don't speak Chichewa. And uh, my wife said, what do you mean? And my son said, Chichewa is for Bushmen. <laughs> now... My wife and I looked at each other, and we knew he hadn't learned that from his mother or from his father. So the only place we could think of where he learned that was in school. I was infuriated. I said, who told you that? My teacher. My teacher tells us all the time. 
that teacher is for Bushmen. I said, I think your teacher and I need to talk. Because I'm in the half of the population where if something incenses me, I want to launch an attack. I want to take you on. The Donald Trump philosophy. That's me. And so uh, this is what emotionally unhealthy people do. They either flee or attack. Nehemiah used a different tool. His first response was not flight, and his first response was not attack. He says in this story that when I felt angry towards these people, I pondered these things. That's what I mean by the pond. The pond is whatever place you go to when you feel negative emotions to ponder them before you even respond. To ponder before you launch an attack or before you buy a passport to run away. Everyone should have a pond. I don't mean a literal pond with water in it. I mean you should have a place where you go and ponder your negative emotions. If you're not pondering the negative emotions before you respond, your response is going to be emotionally unhealthy and it will fuel a toxic environment in all your relationships. Nehemiah said, I pondered these things first. And then I responded. What is your task when you are pondering? The pond where you are pondering your negative emotions is a place of decision. It's a place of making choices. The pond is the thing that prevents you from allowing your negative emotions to tell you what to do. But for you to decide what is appropriate as a response. What are the sort of decisions that you must embrace as your task when you are pondering the negative emotions? Whether your negative emotion is fear or disgust or contempt or anger, when you feel negative towards someone, don't respond, ponder first. Let me use the letters of the alphabet. A, your first task is to choose your attitude. If I am angry at this person, what attitude should I have when I go and talk to them? If you don't deliberately choose an attitude, the attitude will be chosen for you by the situation. And you will go, you can, do you know that you can be justified? You can be on the right side of a relationship and somebody is in the wrong, but you can find yourself in the wrong because you approach them with the wrong attitude. And therefore, you have lost the ground you had because you came with the wrong attitude. The wrong attitude. Yeah, your boss did something wrong, but the way you stormed into this office to point that out is completely unacceptable. Yeah, your teacher graded you unfairly, but the way you brought this issue up, well, you can, you can keep your F. So many times, even when we are right and others are wrong, we are unable to resolve conflicts because we didn't go to a pond where we actually chose our attitude. That's what the pond is for, to go there and choose your attitude. So that whatever attitude you take with you into that conversation is intentional. It's chosen and not just happening. B, the pond is a place to choose your boundaries. Your boundaries. A place to decide, I am angry or I am scared. I feel this way or that way. But when I am going to respond to this situation, here are boundaries I will not cross. I will not cross these boundaries. This is something I didn't do after that game of fly. I was angry and I was unable to go to a pond where I could choose 
that if, no matter what happens here, if there is one thing I will never do is to speak disrespectfully to my mother. That is a boundary I will not cross. If you have no pond to go to and you just launch into an attack or decide to flee the situation, you might actually end up crossing boundaries you shouldn't have. And that's why you need a pond, to go and ponder. And one of the things you need to ponder about is to choose your boundaries. Yes, I'm angry, but I will never use my anger as an excuse to do this. So let me just put that out there. You look yourself in the mirror and you say, Sean, you are terrified right now. But here are two things you should avoid doing at all costs. To choose your boundary. Number three. A pond is a place to choose your counsel, your counsel, to choose the people you want to bring to the pond to give you advice, to say, hey, I'm in this situation, I'm thinking this way, how do you feel I should respond? I was thinking this, a pond is good for that, a place where you can ponder your counsel, and you have to think carefully about you, who you bring into that counsel. Because sometimes we can get counsel from the wrong people. If you are bitter, the last thing you want to do is talk to another bitter person to give you counsel. Or if you are scared, you don't want to talk to a coward to give you counsel on how to respond to, oh, no, you can't, oh, yeah, just, just, oh, no, oh, you're done, man, you're done. Run, run, man. You're going to die. Just run. Because they are cowardly. They want you to respond the same way. Counsel is about bringing someone into your world who has a strength that you currently lack. Who has a strength that you currently lack. To say, hey, I'm in this situation. I feel like I'm missing something that I think you have. Can you give me some input? The Bible has a word for that. It's called grace. Grace means receiving strength from outside that you lack within. That's what grace is. So see, a pond is a place where you choose your counsel. And then D, a pond is a place where you choose your desires. To ask the question, what do you actually want from this situation? Yeah, I'm angry with Pastor Humphreys, but what do I actually want? Is what I actually want for him to get a nosebleed? Because if what I want is a nosebleed, then I will need to punch him in the nose. But if what I want is for our relationship to be restored, then going in and punching him in the nose works against that. And sometimes we have fled a situation or attacked a situation and gotten a certain result only to find out later that that's not actually what I wanted. Isn't it true? Yeah. Because we didn't go to a pond where we could actually think about what we wanted. Two boys were fighting over an orange. It's mine. No, it's mine. It's, it's mine. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. It's mine. I want it. I, I want I, I want it. The mother came and said, hey, what's all this about? He says the orange is his, but it's mine. And the other brother said the same thing. The mother said there is an easy, an easy solution to this. She took the orange and went to the kitchen and grabbed a knife and cut it in half. Gave one half to the brother and the other half to the other brother. And said, now both of you go to your rooms. And thus ended the fight. One brother got to his room, closed the door, and peeled the orange, threw away the peel, and ate the orange. The other brother got into his room, closed the door, peeled the orange, threw away the orange, and went to the kitchen to use the orange peels to make marmalade. The mother never took her sons to a pond where they could actually figure out what they wanted. If she had listened to what they wanted, she would never have cut it in half. 
she would have given the whole orange to one brother and the whole orange to the other brother. But in the end, she gave them both something they didn't want. Somebody doesn't have to lose in order for you to win. So the pond is a place for figuring out what the win is. What do I actually want to get out of this situation? If you don't name that, you will go in demanding something else other than what you actually want. This happens in all kinds of negotiation uh, tactics. A company comes to your country and says, we want to explore your Lake Malawi and see if there is oil there. If you don't go away as a country to a pond and figure out what you actually want, you can end up demanding something else and after 50 years finding out that the thing you actually wanted, you never actually got. You got something completely different. You got something less. We do not always know what we want, and that's why we need the pond to go figure it out. We don't always know what we want. And what we say we want in the emotion of the moment is not always what we truly want. You need the pond to ponder it. Do I want this? No, I don't think I want that. Yes, I want that, but not as much as I want this. And for you young people, when you graduate from college, you need to remember this when you walk into a contract negotiation with an employee, with an employer. Because many people go in and just demand a money amount. I want, I want a raise. I want a raise. Well, how much, <laughs> how much of a raise do you want? Uh, well, I want, I think 50,000. You want 50,000 more. And then when your employer is unable to give it to you, what do you feel? Frustration anger, and you feel like he's exploiting you. But it may very well be that your employer is genuinely unable to give you 50000 quite an extra. But you named the wrong thing. You didn't actually tell your employer what you want. Because let me tell you something. Nobody actually wants money. I mean, have you ever seen a family sitting at a dinner table with quachas in their plates and putting them in their mouth? <laughs> Nobody in the world actually wants money. We always say we want money, but we don't want money. No, none of us want money. We name the money we want because we are too afraid to say what we actually want. If you had told your employer that actually my desire is to go to school and get my master's, and I have applied for this college and they have accepted me. And I want to go. So I don't know if there is anything you can do to help me do that. It may be that your employer has other means of helping you get what you actually want in other ways other than giving you an extra 50000 every month. But you didn't tell him what you want because you never went to a pond to figure it out. And any successful negotiation requires you to be able to say what your desires are. And that's what the pond is for. It's a place to choose your attitude, to choose your boundaries, to choose your counsel, and to choose your desires. Before you can respond to the situation or the relationship or the action that gave you these negative emotions. And look at the way this story turned out because Nehemiah had a pond. Everybody said, Amen and praise the Lord. That is what emotionally healthy people do. The process is longer, but the rewards are long lasting. May the Holy Spirit give you success in all your relationships by helping you to respond appropriately when the situations come. Amen? Amen? Let me pray for you. Thank you, God, for your kindness to us and for allowing us to conclude our time in this conference by reflecting on something that is 
of eternal significance, being emotionally healthy in the context of relationships, especially when the relationships become difficult. I thank you for all of the breakout sessions where we have learned different skills, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that the things that have been learned here will transform our lives for the rest of our lives. And in transforming us, may we bring transformation to all the situations and relationships we find ourselves in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.